truly welcome those of you that are new here this morning. We know we have some visitors from the area, and we hope that you got a warm welcome. And uh, we had a visitor two weeks ago that came to church, and I said, how did it go? And he said, I got greeted five times before I got to the door of the worship center. I went, yes, that's what we want. We want people to feel welcome and, uh, and cared for. Have you ever gone to a church, visited a church, and no one said hi? You didn't get a handshake or a smile? That's not what we want. We want you to feel welcome here. And I'm so glad that that happens uh, when you enter Cedar Home. Well, this morning we go back to Hebrews chapter 11. I've been preaching through the book of Hebrews. And actually we'll be in Genesis 5, Hebrews 11, and Jude, that little one-chapter book just before the book of Revelation. Because today we're going to be talking about Enoch. Enoch. Uh, so before we get to that, let's, let's ask God's blessing on his word this morning. Lord God, uh, thank you that we can learn from these great men of faith, that they're there for our example. And there are a, a lot of different components to Enoch's life. Um, and any, all of them or any one of them could be really instructive for us today. Holy Spirit, people come in with different needs and challenges and I just pray that as, as Enoch saturates our mind uh, this morning, uh, you'd meet us where we live. It might be one area, it might be another, it might be all of them, it might, we don't know, but Lord, Holy Spirit, just minister to my, my friends and, uh, here today and myself so that you can be glorified and we can be blessed. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, we're gonna be talking about Enoch today, and um, Enoch is the second person of 27 named and a whole bunch of people that are not named in the uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews uh, that God, by his sovereign wisdom, inducted into what we call uh, Faith's Hall of Fame or God's Hall of Faith. And it's a great chapter, it's known as the Faith chapter, and when it comes to Enoch, there are nine verses Nine verses uh, with a total of 48 words in, about him in the Bible. Nine verses with a total of 48 words in the Bible. His name means dedicated or initiated. He was seventh in line from Adam. He was the father of Methuselah who lived 969 years. We'll get to that in a minute. And he was the grandfather of Noah, Enoch was. Now, the Bible contains information about Noah in three places, once in, some in Genesis 5, then in Hebrews 11 here, and then in, as I said, Jude, verses 14, 15. Specifically, uh, Genesis 5, 24 uh, talks about Enoch, and it mentions that he walked with God. Enoch walked with God, okay? And today we're gonna discover what, what that means. What does it mean, what did it mean for Enoch to walk with God, and what does it mean for us to walk with God? If, if nothing else could be said about your life and mine as a believer, and someone said, you know, they walked with God, that would be fine. That would be, that would be the mountaintop. That's what we all want to be said by us at the end of our Christian life, to, to walk with God. So we're gonna discover what that means through Enoch and what it means for us as we study this great hall of faith or, uh, uh, today. So the title of the message is Enoch, the man who walked with God. And I'm gonna read all of these verses. There's really not, there's only nine verses on Enoch in the Bible. I'll start with Genesis 
5, 18 through 24, then we'll go through Hebrews 11, 5, and then Jude 14, 15. We'll see what we can learn about what it means to walk with God. Genesis 5, 18 through 24. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. This is obviously pre-flood conditions. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. And although Enoch lived a total of, altogether rather, Enoch lived a total of 365 years, Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more because God took him away. And then into Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away, for before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And then up to Jude, verses 14 and 15. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so uh, we see here that Enoch walked with God. What does that mean specifically? From these verses, and what does it mean for you and I as we as we stream out of here this morning and out into our world apart from church? What does it mean to walk with God? First of all, Enoch teaches us that and shows us that he walked with God faithfully. He walked with God faithfully. Going back to Genesis chapter five and eighteen through twenty-four, twice, once in verse twenty-one and once in verse twenty-four, it said, "Enoch walked faithfully with God." Well, let's, let's reduce this down to its most basic component. What does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to walk with God? Okay, the term walk in the Bible is synonymous with a person's way of life. A person's way of life. So Enoch's way of life was that he walked with God. G. Campbell Morgan, a preacher of many years ago, said that walking with God means that we're constantly going in the same direction as God. If, you, if you're going to walk with somebody you're going in the same direction. If you take your wife or your husband or your friend or your child or whoever it may be for a walk, you're gonna walk in the same direction or you're not gonna go on a walk together, okay? You'll be going in different directions. So walking with God means that we're constantly going in the same direction as God. One other definition of walking with God means that in our way of life, we're walking on the same path with God, we're going to the same place as God, and we're staying in constant focus on God. Now let's get more specific here. What does it mean like Enoch to walk faithfully as, uh, with God? To walk with God faithfully? Well certainly it means by faith to walk with God faithfully as Enoch did. It means walking by faith and we've been talking a lot about that in the book of Hebrews. This has been a thrilling thing for me. I've really been blessed with I, I hope and I think spiritual growth in the area of faith. And it's been very exciting for me personally to go through the book of Hebrews and to learn what it means to walk by faith. And what, what, what it means to walk faithfully with God or by faith, it means we're walking by faith in God's promises, his presence, and his provision. We believe that God is gonna be there for us and provide for us uh, throughout our lives. But I wanna get a little bit more accurate here, I think, to the text. When it talks about Enoch walking with God faithfully, 
I think it's speaking of a duration of time. A duration of time. Okay? That is, Enoch stayed in fellowship with God all the way to the end of his life. Okay? He, he, he stayed faithfully in fellowship with God all the way to the end of his life. Because what does it say here? It says in verse 22 that he walked with God faithfully for three hundred years. That's a long time. Three hundred years. He didn't deviate, he didn't drop out, he didn't die off or drift away. All three hundred years, Enoch walked faithfully with God. And you gotta figure, right, over a period of three hundred years, doesn't mean that he would doesn't it mean that he would have some rough times? I mean, 300 years, you've got to have some peaks and valleys, okay? And on top of that, as we'll find out, living in the world that Enoch lived in, okay, it was really, really an anti-God world. There was uh, severe opposition to those who walked with God. Severe opposition. And it was a, it was a, the culture that, that, that Enoch lived in was, was, was rampant with immorality and temptation and godlessness and depravity and dishonesty and decadence. It was all around him. And yet he walked faithfully with God for 300 years. It's just, it's just mind-boggling to, to think about that. He's an amazing picture of faithful perseverance in spite of his surroundings and his trials and his temptations. I think one thing that, that God teaches us through Enoch when it says Enoch walked faithfully with God is God's not so much interested in our success, but he is interested in our, what? Faithfulness, our faithfulness. He's asking not for success, but faithfulness with him. And what I think the writer here to the Hebrews is doing is using Enoch to encourage these struggling believers. They were under persecution, and they were living in a very decadent, immoral culture. And he's encouraging them to, to not drop out, because after 300 years, Enoch dropped out, so don't you drop out after, in, in, during your lifespan. And who is he talking through? He's talking through Enoch and through those people in the New Testament, and he's talking to you and to me because we live in a culture that's fast becoming more and more a, a culture of anti-Christ and decadence and immorality and temptation and depravity. And through Enoch and through these New Testament Hebrew believers and all the way to us, he's saying, I want you to walk faithfully with God. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't deviate or drop out or die off in your walk with God. Okay? No matter how dark your culture gets, no matter how difficult our culture gets, stay faithful to God just like Enoch did. And that's what Hebrews 11 is all about, showing these, us these great uh, hall of faithers, these people who were inducted into God's hall of fame, or hall of faith, rather. Now, it's interesting to note, I don't know if you noticed this in verses 21 and 22 in um, uh, uh, Genesis, but it's interesting to note that nothing is said about Enoch's first 65 years of life, of whether he walked with God or not, okay? 
But then something happens. Something happens. Look at verse 21 and 22 in Genesis. When Enoch lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Okay? Did you notice that? What was the inspiration for him walking faithfully with God? He had a kid. He had a kid. Is there anything that causes us to turn to God more than our kids? I mean, it's just right there in in print, right? Having a baby, having a child changes things. Now, other things can change that. Difficulties, tragedies, confusion, trials, they can cause us to walk with God more faithfully if we depend on God. But kids can do that too. And that's when his faithful walk started. It's 65 years old with the birth of his first child. Kids will do that. They'll inspire your prayer life, won't they? Okay? Because they cause us to look outside of ourselves and walk with God like nothing else. J. Vernon McGee said, if the presence of a baby or a child in your life won't change you, nothing will. So Enoch is a great example because he walked faithfully with God. Our culture is getting darker and darker and darker. And there are all kinds of reasons and excuses that believers or professing believers can give for not walking faithfully with God. Intense opposition, intense temptation, all kinds of crises. But we're told here, keep walking faithfully with God. Now there's a second thing about uh, Enoch here. As Enoch not only walked with God faithfully, but Enoch walked with God pleasingly. It's one thing to go from point A to point Z in our Christian life and just get there, but God wants us to walk with him not just faithfully, but pleasingly like Enoch. Now we're in Hebrews 5, and notice what it says about Enoch here. Hebrews Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, right, he was commended as one who what? Pleased God. He was, he was commended as one who pleased God. How would you like that in the obituary for your life? You know, if I just had that, you know, in the obituary for the Herald, Everett Herald or Stanwood News or whatever. Mitch pleased God. I would be a happy camper. If, if, that's, if that's all the people said at your memorial, they stood and said, you know, he, they pleased God. That would be enough. I mean, if that was on your tombstone, that would be all those, what, what greater thing could be said about you and I? We please God. And Enoch, it says here in Hebrews, was commended as one who pleased God. And I think that begs the question. If we're going to try to walk faithfully with God, then we're going to try to walk pleasingly with God, what does it mean to walk in a way that pleases God? What does that mean? Well, how do we do that? What does it mean and how do we do that? Well, I think at a basic level, again, just apart from Enoch, sort of, Um, It means that we learn how to please God by daily, as often as we can, getting into his word, okay, 
understanding it, and with God's help, obeying it. Just being consistent in our time with God. That we can, that will help us walk in a way that pleases God. Okay, but I want to get specific here. Because this is something I've been trying to practice in my own life. Can't say that I've been doing a perfect job of it by any stretch of the imagination. But more specifically, walking with God pleasingly like Enoch means the following. That throughout my Christian life, when it comes to my words, what I say, or I'm thinking about saying, okay, or my thoughts, what I'm thinking about, or tempted to be thinking about, or, or how I respond to things, especially my responses to people in my life. Or when it comes to my attitudes, or my actions, or my decisions as I approach any given situation. When it comes to those things, will I ask this question, will I please God in this? Is what I'm thinking is how I'm acting, is my, are my attitudes and actions and decisions and responses pleasing to God or not, okay? More specifically, putting them into a form of a question to God. God, will what I'm about to say, think, do, act, decide, respond to, will that be pleasing to you? It is absolutely amazing how this can change your life. Okay? All kinds of things. You know, God, is what I'm about to pick up and read pleasing to you? Is what I'm about to watch on TV pleasing to you? Is what I'm looking at online pleasing to you? Will it please God? Um, is how I'm talking to this person pleasing to you? Does it rise as a fragrant aroma to you? Or is it unwholesome as you describe it in the book of Ephesians chapter four. Will, uh, what I'm about to say, what I am thinking, how I act, what I'm doing or about to do, will my attitude please you, God, or not? Will it be pleasing to God? Again, this can have a radical effect on our life. It really can, and I'm here to tell you it's had a, a real effect on my life. I can't tell you the things even in a short amount of time that I have not done because I asked this question. Now, the hard part is inserting the question in before you do it. But when you do, it has an incredible effect on our relationship with God and with other people. We become more Christ-like and more loving and more unified and, and we shine as a light to people of Christ. We don't dim the light of Christ. We shine with the light of Christ. When we ask before we think, say, do, or respond in a certain way, you know, will this please God? Or more pointedly, as I just mentioned, God, will this please you? Will it please you how I talk to my wonderful spouse? Will it please you how I talk and act towards my wonderful children? Will, will, it, will it please you how I treat that person in church that maybe tends to get under my skin a little bit, you know? At work, you know, that one guy or gal that just, you know, kinda, you know, has a burr under your saddle, right? 
will, how I think about them, say things to them, act toward them, will it, will it please you, God? Is this pleasing to you? How I, ex- how I express my, my feelings, is it pleasing to you? Will it please you? It, it's an amazing what, what kind of effect that has on us in all of our situations, in and outside of church. This keeps us like Enoch, pleasing to God, walking with God in a pleasing manner. And I, I, as I mentioned here just a few seconds ago, it's life-changing, and let me tell you why. And this is really cool. Really cool. This is why. Because when we say God is what I'm about to do, say, think, and all that, is this pleasing to you, or will this please God? Here's what happens. In that moment, it brings God in to bear on our situation instead of keeping him distant. Are you guys with me this morning? Are you thinking about all the candy you get to eat tonight, or are you with me this morning? When we say, will it please you, God, or is this pleasing to God, it brings God to bear into, directly into our situation. And when we do that, it pleases him. And therefore, we walk pleasing with God. And the, the, the opposite's true, too. When we ignore this, and we ignore saying, is this pleasing to you, God, or will this please God, that's when we get into trouble. Because we push God away and we act in and of our own flesh and self and strength, and that's where our problems come in, right? But when we practice it, it keeps us from sin and trouble, and it blesses us, and it blesses others. And you're saying, Mitch, could you move on to your next point, please? had just about enough of this meddling into my life. But see, that's what made Enoch a hall of faither. Not only did Enoch walk pleasingly with God, or uh, faithfully with God for the duration of his life, he walked pleasingly with God. And what an example. Let's go to number three here. Not only did Enoch walk with God faithfully and pleasingly, but Enoch walked with God prophetically, prophetically. Let's look at verses 14 and 15 in the little book of Jude. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Notice any repetition of words? Ungodly. Well, let's back up the truck here. Who is them? Okay, in that verse 14, he prophesied about them. These are the people of Enoch's day, the false teachers, false believers, uh, unbelievers of Enoch's day that culminated with the false teachers and false believers and unbelievers of Noah's day that pushed right on through to the time that the book of Hebrews was written, the false teachers, or that the book of Jude was written, false teachers, false believers, and unbelievers. And on through the New Testament and all the way to our day, the false teachers, false believers, and unbelievers, and eventually into judgment. Okay? So initially, it's the people of Enoch's day culminating with the people of Noah's day, and eventually in the New Testament day, and now up to our day, there's going to be judgment on those people. Now, in the context of Genesis, 
It's interesting that God had Enoch name his son Methuselah, which means when he is dead, it shall be sent. Isn't that a beautiful name? When he is dead, it shall be sent. It's not beautiful, but it was meant to prophesy something. God had uh, Enoch name his son Methuselah. When he is dead, it shall be sent as a prophecy because Methuselah lived 969 years. Think about it. He was able to collect Social Security for 904 years. Pretty amazing, huh? But after Methuselah died, judgment would come. It's a prophecy. Now, Enoch lived in an environment that deserved the judgment of God. It was before the flood, and one guy I was listening to said it made, today, made today's society and world look like a Sunday school picnic. We'll maybe talk about that more next week when we talk about Noah, but it was a time of awful wickedness, awful, awful wickedness, much more than our own, believe it or not, if that's possible. But after 969 years, exactly when he died, Methuselah, that brought the judgment of God in Noah's day with a flood because just after Methuselah died, Noah came on the scene and then judgment of the world and its wickedness through a flood destroyed the whole world. And so God is using Enoch to warn them in light of his judgment. And we have the details of the warning. Let's go through them quickly. Verses 14 and 15 of Jude. The Lord is coming with thousands and thousands of his holy ones. Those are angels. The Lord will come to judge everyone, false teachers, false believers, and unbelievers. The Lord will judge everyone but Noah and his family and convict them all uh, of ungodliness. There's three or four times ungodly. The word ungodly is mentioned depending on your version, but I'll read it through. He will convict all the ungodly, 15, all, of all their ungodly acts, 15, that they have committed in their ungodliness, 15, and all of the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So there's going to be judgment after Methuselah passes away, and it's the judgment of, that, that came upon the world in Noah's time. Okay, now I want you to think about something. It's one thing to prophesy this now and again, once in a while. But how long did Enoch prophesy this? I'll give you a hint. 300 years. Can you imagine prophesying this judgment on a wicked culture that wants nothing to do with you and what you're saying for 300 years? I mean, we get upset when someone just kind of kicks us to the curb for sharing our faith in Christ one time or the fact that God's going to come in judgment one time and they need Jesus in their life. He was prophesying this for 300 years of unpopularity, okay? He never complained, however. He didn't stand down because of his suffering or opposition. And the writer here is, is, is challenging these weakening Hebrew uh, believers and he's challenging us to continue to take a stand, listen to me guys, against evil. And not soften. How many churches, right, are softening? We were just talking about that in the prayer time uh, before service. 
the churches are softening on the word of God. They're softening on their stance towards what the word of God says about evil. And that doesn't mean we come into the, a group of people that are committing sin against God with a, with, a, with a coffee table Bible and banging them over the head. We've gotta love them, but we still have to maintain our stand against what is against the word of God, amen? Don't soften on that. And we are bludgeoned day in and day out by a rampantly immoral culture to soften our stance. Don't do it. We don't need to be obnoxious about it, but we need to be firm about it. No matter how dark and hostile our world gets or unpopular we get in our day, we, and we are and we will, and it's not gonna get any easier. And Enoch is, a, is, a, is a, an example of taking a stand for a long time in a very difficult culture. Now, moving on, the flood or the judgment here prefigures something. It prefigures an ultimate and final judgment that will happen when Christ returns to judge the earth and vanquish all evil. But this time it won't be with water, it'll be with what? It'll be with fire. There's coming a day of judgment, a judgment of fire. And it's like Noah's day, in a sense, that it will destroy the whole world, but it's much, much greater than that. And like Noah, the judgment that happened after Methuselah passed away, um, after 969 years, when he dies, it will come. God knows the exact time of this judgment. Sometimes, have you ever had the thought, church, you wonder how God could wait any longer? When you think of all the unborn children that have been prematurely taken out of this world. And I know some maybe here have done that. God is a forgiving God. And he loves to forgive us for any sin that we commit. And he will restore us. But nonetheless, when we think of, of the children that, that have uh, been prematurely taken out of this world through abortion, or when we think of the, um, the sexual mores that have literally dissolved in our world or the corruption and deception and duplicity of many leaders, and you think, how long can you wait, Lord? How long? Okay, because there is going to be a judgment, and it's going to be by fire. Just a couple passages here to, to talk about that. I think it's good for us to hear this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 and following says this, all this is evident that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen. This is will happen when the Lord Jesus was revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. And then getting into the whole issue of fire, not the flood of water, but a fire will come in 2 Peter chapter 3. Starting at verse four, they will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they, uh, 
deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And, and Enoch is, 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 is prophesying that in Noah's day, but through Noah's day to the next judgment, which could be any time. But here's what's really interesting, and then we'll go to our last point this morning. <sighs> Going back to Enoch's day, right? And Enoch named his son, you know, when he is dead, it will be sent. And again, just as a review, see if you guys were listening. How long did Enoch live? How many years? 900 and what? 69 years. Now, I want you to th- let that rest down into your brains or hearts for a second. How long between the prophecy of judgment uh, by Enoch's name till the actual judgment? How many years? 969 years. Does that not show how patient God is? The answer is yes, okay. 969 years? That's a long time from the prophecy of the judgment to the judgment himself. You know, some people say, oh, you know, the God of the Old Testament is a cruel, mean God. You ever hear that? Doesn't sound very cruel and mean to me. 969 years in a culture that should have been greased a long time ago? That's a patient, loving God. A God of holiness, and yes, a God of judgment, but how patient and loving he is. And then you know, the same thing is true today. Because when I asked that question earlier, don't you think we've done enough in our world to incur the judgment of God? I had a kind of a quiet yes, but I think we all agree, yes. This world is, is, is ripe for God's judgment. And yet, God hasn't done it yet. Is he not a patient and loving God? The answer is yes, okay, honestly. He's patient, but I want to say this, judgment is going to come. It will come, just like I read in Second uh, Peter. And our message to our world, our nation, is that although God is merciful and judgment's coming for a great, great wickedness, okay? And God knows the time, just like he knew the time of the flood, he knows the time of this judgment, okay? So Enoch walked with God, How did he walk with God? He walked with him faithfully. He walked with him pleasingly. Lord, will this 
please you? Um, am, I, am I acting and speaking and thinking and deciding and, and responding and all that in a way that's pleasing to you? And then he, he, he walked prophetically with God. And then the last and fun part, I think, is sort of, Enoch walked with God temporarily. I love this. Genesis 5.24 says, Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. And then same deal in uh, Hebrews 11.5 and that's mentioned there three times. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Taken, the operative word. What does that mean? Well, it means that after God was done using Enoch as a spiritual example of faithfulness and pleasing God and of standing for the truth prophetically, that he took him. He took him instantly. I don't know how that happened. Was it like Elijah when he went up in a, didn't he go up in chariots of, a chariot of fire? Like, like a whirlwind, you know? Or did he just poof? He was gone. I don't know. We don't know. But he was gone, just gone. People were looking for him. That's the idea that we have here. People were looking for him. He could not be found, it says in Hebrews 11, 5. He couldn't be found. Hey, where'd, where'd he not go? He's not around anymore. I don't know. I saw him walking down the road, but who knows? I don't know where he went. There's nowhere to be found. But he took Enoch. And you know what that's a picture of, you guys? That's a picture of God taking us, his church. Did you know God's going to take his church? I always have scripture to back this up because, you know, I think it's fun to, to talk about it. But it's a prototype. It's a, it prefigures the fact and the time that God will take every one of his children to be with him one way or another uh, when he's ready. Now, maybe I, I, I'll just say I, I will have passed away, physically died, but he will take me. He will take me and give me a new resurrection body. But suppose that we're all alive when Christ comes back, back. He'll take us then in the same way that he uh, um, took Enoch. I prefer the second one more, but either way, it's cool. All right? He'll take every one of us who has a personal relationship with his son, Jesus, uh, the same way, in a sense, that he took Enoch. One day, soon I hope, I think it's going to be soon. You know, I'll say this. I'm not going to say the. The, the, the year, but I am going to say it's probably going to be on a Thursday, okay? Um, that's just my, my personal opinion. On a Thursday, Jesus is coming back and he is going to take all those who are living and believe in him and he's going to take them up in the air and they're not going to experience death, okay? You say, you know, do you have chapter and verse for that? I'm glad you asked. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it gives just a, a wonderful statement of this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18. It says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that he, we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. That's died physically. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have, have passed away. 
And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And all God's people said, hey, let's puncture that morbid Halloween atmosphere just a little bit here in church. Have you driven around and seen some of this baloney that's... Anyway, um, I think it's... I love the candy part, don't get me wrong. Love the cake and the candy. Tonight's going to be really fun. You know who they put in charge of the candy? Me. Janice says, will you be in charge of the candy? I says, you don't know what you're asking. And I like that part of it. I just don't like all the, the death and blood stuff. But anyway, I'm just an old fuddy-duddy. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Hey, hey, you might be like Enoch. Soon. That's encouraging. Okay? And you know, um, there's a one other thing that Jesus said. I, I just want to quickly quote this. It's actually a very short couple words of Scripture here. In uh, Luke 17, 34 and 35, Jesus himself says, speaks of this. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. He's going to... He's going to take the believers and the others will be left behind. Okay. And you know, there's been times when I've been thinking something I shouldn't think or saying something I shouldn't say or watching something I shouldn't watch or having an attitude that really stinks. And I thought, ooh, I want to quit that because I don't want that to be the last thing I'm doing when Christ takes me home. I just, I don't want, I want to end on a good note. How about you? I just want to end on a good note. You know, will I be pleasing to God in my thoughts and attitudes and actions towards him? Um, I don't want to be taken unprepared or, or unaware or unworthy. I, I just think that's, that's worth mentioning because it could be any time, right? He'll come like a what in the night? A thief in the night. Okay, if you've ever been robbed, and I have, it was quick, it was fast, and I didn't see it coming. okay. So we need to ask ourselves as Christians, are we ready in our walk with God to be taken? Okay? Is there anything unresolved or unconfessed or unrepented of or unreconciled or unforgiven or unfinished as far as it depends on us if we were taken before we walked out of this room today? That's just a, a, a question. Okay? So we need to be prepared. Now, in terms of salvation, as I wind things up here a little bit, in terms of salvation, will you be ready? And I'm talking to those of you that are watching online. Every week it seems like different people say, oh yeah, we're watching on TV and we're watching online, okay? And, and that's fine if you have to be there. If you just are comfortable, you need to be in church because you can get something here that you can't get in your PJs on the couch, Right? You can get fellowship here. But I, I realize that there are extenuating circumstances for people and some have to be home. I get it. But if you don't have to be and you can be here, I would really encourage you to be here. Okay. Because earlier in Hebrews it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together is, is the, the habit of some. And I realize that can't be helped in some cases, but it can in others. But anyway, what about in terms of salvation? Will you be ready for his return, for the final judgment? 
and be taken by him? Or will you be left behind for judgment? I mean, what could be worse than that? To be that one person that Jesus, two people in bed and one goes and you're there. What could be worse than that feeling? Or, or out in the field and one goes and you're there. What could be worse than knowing you weren't ready? And my question would be, is God's 969 years of patience and grace about over? Is it? I, I, it might be. This might be 969 or 68 years and 10 months. And his patience and grace with this world is almost up and Christ returns. I say before that happens, take advantage of God's patience and grace and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent of your sin. That repentance simply means a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Ask him to forgive you and be your Lord and Savior. Do that from your heart. And you'll be ready no matter when he comes back. Okay? Take advantage of his grace while it's still available. Okay? Now, going back to us as Christians, and I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up with this. It's important to note that because of the way that he was walking with God, the very next step for Enoch was right into heaven. I mean, I wasn't there, but I, I wonder if he was just walking and he took one more step and he just kind of went. You know? Make a good movie, wouldn't it? Just one more step. I think that what we ought to do is live our lives as Christians that it's only going to take one more step. See, the wrong question to ask is, what can I do as a Christian and get away with it and still be saved? That's the wrong question. The right question is much different. It's how close can I get to God? How faithful and pleasing and prophetic can I get before the Lord takes me home or comes back first? It's not what, what, what can I do and still be counted as a believer. It's how, can I, how close can I make my walk with Jesus be? And I think that we just need to examine ourselves. Is, is, is if, we, if we were walking down the road and then one more step, we'd be going right in. And then just this last word. As a Christian here today, you might be thinking, you know, Mitch, I'm not like Enoch at all. I'm not a spiritual giant like him. I'd never be inducted into the Faith Hall of Fame. I'd never be a Hall of Faither like Enoch. Forgetting that there were many unnamed people there also. But, but I want you to consider this. And you can check me on this in the Word of God. Enoch never performed a miracle, never wrote a profound book on theology, never authored a best-selling Christian book, never did any great works or miracles that we know of. He just walked with God. And if you believe that every Christian can, by the grace of God, walk with God, let me hear you say amen. amen. You're a hall of faither. You're inducted into God's hall of fame because you're making an attempt to walk with God, to walk faithfully and pleasingly and prophetically and temporarily with God. See, walking's not flashy. It's, it's just the opposite, actually. It's, it's, it's faithful. It's just not being successful, it's just being faithful. 
I mean, when's the last time you saw someone, someone walking? Maybe you were coming to church today or you were driving near your neighborhood and someone's walking down the sidewalk. You go, wow, look at that guy, walk! Do you see the way he's putting his foot one in front of the other, the way his arm is going like this? Did you ever see anything so flashy? Walking's not flashy, okay? It's just putting one foot in front of the other. It's being committed and consistent in our relationship with God. It's heading in the direction that God has for us. It's surrendering our will to him. It's letting his word and the Holy Spirit direct our lives and our words and our attitudes and our decisions and actions. It's continuing to ask, God, is this pleasing to you or not? And responding accordingly. That's what it means to be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who walked with God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for... um, these wonderful, wonderful uh, examples that we have in Hebrews. Uh, Thank you for impacting our lives with them. Thank you, Lord, for helping me. And I'm not doing a great job of it, but I am, I'm learning and I'm I'm excited and growing uh, by asking you before I I talk or, or watch or think or respond, you know, God, does this please you? Is this pleasing to you, God? Does this please God? Lord, thank you that you bring yourself to bear in our situation. And as a result, we're happier. We're more in harmony with you. We're more of a blessing to other people. We're freer. And we're shining as a light to the world. Help us to be like Enoch as we go out into this world today, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. Don't eat too much candy tonight, okay? Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next week.